Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for episode two of Saving Face, a podcast dedicated to breaking the stigma around sharing hard to tell stories. I'm Ida, and I'll be your host for the series. For our first season, we're asking eight creatives to dive into some of their most difficult personal experiences, many of which are often rooted in trauma and shame. Throughout each episode, we'll explore the ways these experiences have impacted their work and give our guests the space to reframe these stories as moments of growth, forgiveness, and love. Today, we're speaking with Ada Chen. I'm a Chinese-American artist and jeweler, and I make art and jewelry about my Chinese-American identity, basically. (laughs) You might know Ada for her text message earrings. Each side of the pair depicts actual conversations Ada had with men about her race. One side reads, I've never been with an Asian girl before. To which Ada responds, and how do you feel about that? The person responds, I don't know. I'm kind of excited. And Ada ends the conversation with three upside-down smiley faces. The earrings went viral in 2018 for their cutting depiction of the ignorant fetishization Asian American women experience on a day-to-day basis. And since then, she's made tons of work that speaks to the Chinese American identity, like her mooncake earrings as well as political pieces that support social justice movements. She adapted her Made in Chinese America necklace, for instance, to read Made to Abolish America after the massive cultural reckoning we saw in the country this summer. An old idea of Ada's was a pair of dirty laundry earrings, modeled after the iconic plastic spinning laundry rack with clothespins found widely across Asia. For those who don't know what it looks like, it might help to reference the opening scene of Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. It's a small circular rack hanging with socks in the left-hand corner. Americans who reviewed the film often mistakenly called it a light fixture being used as a makeshift drying rack. Ada had told me about these earrings when we first met, and even though they hadn't been made yet, the idea stuck in my head, ultimately becoming a source of inspiration for this very podcast. So, I mean, I was, like, talking to my friend about, like, of like more at the beginning when I was like trying to figure out like more Chinese identity and Asian identity type stuff. And like the concept of it was about the way that like Asian Americans and their families don't really like air their dirty laundry. So like the project with the earrings was supposed to be like, yes, we're airing this shit. Because we have to talk about it to get over it. Because it just it just sits with us and it becomes generational. <laughs> dirty laundry. There are a few benefits to not airing out dirty laundry. You don't have to deal with other people's problems while also protecting others from the weight of your own traumas. Lulu Wang's 2019 film, The Farewell, discusses that latter concept in great detail. It's a film about a Chinese family who doesn't tell their grandma that she has cancer in order to save her from the sadness of knowing she might die, a completely different approach from the American custom of getting things out into the open. It's like everyone thinks it's their own responsibility to deal with their trauma. So it's like we don't want to put all these problems onto other people because it's it's on us to fix it, basically. Or like we don't want to make a scene 
Yeah. Well, I feel like those are almost two different things, right? Like one of them is this concept of self uh, responsibility, right? Like mm-hmm. we want to fix all these things ourselves because we feel responsible for them. And yeah. kind of like in um, The Farewell, I don't know if you saw that movie I with Aquafina. I did watch that. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting manifestation of that concept. Like you are showing a labor of love by bearing something mm-hmm. that someone else um is actually for someone else, like is pain for someone else, but you're carrying that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's wrong either. I think it's just like, it's like a huge contrast to American culture where like everyone does voice their issues and stuff. So like, I just, I don't think that it's wrong to like, as well, like specifically in the farewell where it was the family was bearing the burden of knowing the cancer is there and stuff like that. So, yeah. Right. But like, I think, I think that right is kind of the positive side of this act of hiding something, hiding knowledge or trying to fix a problem like all by yourself. But I think the other side that you mentioned is a little bit more detrimental to maybe like your personal well being or mental health even. Um, Because, not making a scene is something, I don't know, that's so superficial in some ways, you know? Yeah. Because I also think that, like, we should be here for each other. I think it should be a given that, like, that if you do have an issue, like, feel free to come to me about it and we can go through it together. Like, I think community is good for that. And, like, it is, like, difficult for Chinese Americans to find community and, like, emotional well-being because we're ju- we just don't do that shit. Do you kind of feel that that's more prevalent in the older generation, like with your parents or, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, or is that like something that still pervades through to us, like people like us? I think it's, I think it honestly is a learned behavior because I'm like, where else did I learn to keep all of my like issues inside of me and try to deal with them myself? Like instead of, like going to my parents first, I guess. Mm. I think that would be like my second resort is like if I felt so freaking bad that I had to like come to my parents about it. But otherwise, my first resort is to just like keep it to myself and try to figure it out. So I and like I feel like there's nowhere else that I would have learned that except for my parents and like seeing how they dealt with their pain. And I think I'm changing that by, like, talking to my friends and stuff. Like, I think that's, like, a recent development in my 20s that I've, that I've like, realized, oh, like, my friends are there for me and I'm there for them. And, like, we can talk about whatever bothers us. And, I mean, a part of me wonders also if it's, like, not just from seeing your parents respond that way to life circumstances, but also maybe it manifested in your relationship with them, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, did you feel like you could really be yourself around them growing up? Um, I don't know if I knew that I wasn't being myself, but um, definitely when I moved away, I feel like now I've become, like, like I live double lives now mm. that I'm in New York and they're in San Francisco. And, like, <clears throat> I feel like they know 
a more like contained version of myself, which is kind of sad, which is also something I like in the past like year have wanted to deal with and like kind of like confront that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely feel like I am holding back parts of myself from them just because that's not how I was when I was living under their roof. Mm, So it's almost like you evolved in the time that you got more liberty. Yeah. But now that I have had that liberty, I kind of like wish that I felt more open to share that with them. Like what I've discovered about myself. Well, I'm, I'm wondering too, like, is part of the reason you don't want to share these parts of yourself with your parents, you know, like, where does that come from? Is that also because of this fear of losing face in some ways? I think so. Probably also guilt, like guilt and shame, kind of like hand in hand. Like, I feel a lot of guilt for not pursuing a career I guess that would like make money and like make it worth their freaking like immigration to this country you know Mm -hmm. and that's like that's like what everyone goes through (laughs) so (laughs) yeah um and also like shame because I feel like I'm so I'm actually like more outspoken than I was in high school like I speak my thoughts a lot now and like my political views also kind of don't align with theirs so we can't really talk about that and I feel like that's like something that's like a very very prevalent in my life is like talking about politics and shit like that Mm -hmm. um also like dating is like a area that I've never touched so because also I don't just date within my race and Mm -hmm. I'm like, they're a little, they're a little racist when it comes to that (laughs) (laughs) and politics. So, Mm -hmm. but I have tried to have the like political conversations with them. I think like dating is just like a, I, I could more easily keep that to myself. I I think I'm also just freaking like scared for no reason, you know, like, or I don't, it goes back to shame and guilt. Like, I don't want, like, I have so much love for them. I don't want it to be taken away from me, you know? Like, so I'm gonna, like, when I'm with them, I'm gonna be the me that they know and love so that they don't reject me when I tell them I'm, like, dating someone they don't like. Or, like, when we talk about politics and they kind of just change the subject because they don't want to fight. What Ada's describing isn't a problem unique to her family. It's something many children of immigrants, like myself, have struggled with. Despite our parents' strong cultural connections to their homelands, many of us heavily immerse ourselves in American culture growing up, adopting different customs and forms of communication that, depending on our families, can create great distance between us and those we love. Ada's parents, for example, don't necessarily understand her art, which is rooted specifically in Chinese-American identity, not just Chinese identity. I think they can appreciate, like, they can, they, they love, they can recognize, like, the, the small, like, imagery that I use because, of course, like, I base it on my life and they're such a big part of my life. And, but they can't, like, understand it, like, deeply. 
Over the years, the lack of openness between Ada and her family has left a huge impact on her craft. Rather than pouring in the emotional investment many artists bring to their work, Ada's art is strangely detached from her deepest feelings. It's political, but more humorous than emotional. And she rarely has a deep connection to something she's made after it's out in the world, especially if it's being sold for money. I don't like any of my work that I make for money anymore. <laughs> like, at the beginning, I really like like making my my production pieces or whatever like one off and it has nothing to do with like the quality of the work it's like literally the labor that follows and like the exchange of money for it so i still think it's like a i think i think it's like a very important piece to me still in my life and portfolio and like i think it's still impactful or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but i just like don't I think I just like don't think about it like it's like kind of crazy how capitalism like ruined my love for my own pieces (laughs) well I also think it's a little bit deeper than that you know I think that we've talked a lot about your dislike for (laughs) things that you make (laughs) once the time passes but I, I do think like your particular relationship with your work is a little bit deeper. You know? <laughs> Probably. I it's also like a reflection of my growth, you know? Like I feel like I've definitely grown past text messagings and stuff and like a lot of my pieces I feel like I grow out of, which is fine. Like also the my made in Chinese America necklaces and stuff like that. I feel like I've grown out of that sentiment. Even like mm-hmm. I still hold the pride and I still think it's like icky to get like disgusting fetishizing um text messages from men but like i i think i have maybe like accepted it now and i'm moving on to other facets of my identity and like yeah i guess hate is a strong word i just like yeah dislike yeah (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people don't let artists grow. They just want the same shit over and over again. And it's like, and that's why like money is a problem with art because then like, I feel like artists are pressured to cater to the masses and then they make Mm -hmm. art that they don't like, which is like almost what happened to me or what is happening to me, to my art. You think it's currently happening? Kind of. (laughs) I just haven't made anything that I've, like, loved in so long. Well, where do you feel like you create from? And that's the thing. I'm trying to figure that out again. Because I feel like a lot of artists make art for to, like, express themselves and their emotions. And, like, I don't feel like I, my art is very emotional. Like, I think it's very, like, it's funny, you know? <laughs> like... <laughs> that's yeah so it's like for me I'm like what does my art mean to me anymore like what is fulfilling about it and I'm trying to find it again like because before I just wanted recognition and like I feel like I've gotten enough where I'm like satisfied with the recognition part but I think like I need to fulfill myself internally instead of having like this external validation as a factor for how I create my art but, like, I don't know, really, do you like n- your 
emotional experiences. Cause I, I like, for me, like I totally create from an emotional place, you know, like that's, I feel like that's the only way I can do anything. (laughs) Uh, So it's, it's really interesting to hear that you're like the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, and like, I don't know, you know, you know, my work, like has, has any of my work really been emotional to you? Like it doesn't move people really. It kind of just like makes them laugh. And like, maybe that's why I like making my work is like making people like chuckle, you know, but I think I just literally do not know how to express myself in art, like emotionally. (laughs) Do you feel like maybe that also is part (laughs) of your day to day? (laughs) Probably, yeah. I mean, it's probably all related to how I can't express myself emotionally to my parents and shit like that. Like, I know. I was like, mm, does this tie back to childhood trauma? <laughs> I mean, like, okay. So thinking about that, I just think, I don't know. Do you feel like you're able to do that in relationships in general? Um, maybe not. Like in in my in my now relationship, it's like revealing a lot of things to me <laughs> about <laughs> how I don't talk about my feelings when I feel them because I have a really like hard time, I guess, like validating my own feelings in the moment. So I don't say anything, and it kind of just like snowballs when it happens again. Because like, mm. and then I kind of just now realize that it's probably because I like need external validation for my feelings which I sh- I should not I should work on validating myself but like thinking about the validation that I received from my parents it was more about like grades achievements and like things that I create so that was that's like the easiest that's the easy stuff to me now is like making physical objects or whatever and achievements because my parents were so good at validating that which is like great but I don't I don't really know what happened to the emotional side of things. Like maybe my parents didn't have time to talk to me about emotions. Maybe like they never asked me how I felt about things. Cause I mm. do remember like once going to like a sleepover or something that my parents didn't want me to go to, but I was like, I wanna go to this and they let me reluctantly. And then like when they picked me up, I was mad because like my mom was just like I think she was still like saying what a issue it was or how troublesome it was to pick me up or like whatever and I was like why don't you just ask me if that made me happy to go Mm -hmm. to the sleepover like why not why didn't you ask me if that made me happy when we don't communicate openly it's really easy to feel a lack of external validation in any kind of relationship whether it's familial platonic or romantic Ada's patterns of communication with her parents eventually permeated to her romantic partners, too, leading to a long, emotionally abusive relationship that's made up a lot of her young adulthood. Since around 2014, Ada and her ex had been seeing each other casually, keeping an ongoing fling even though her feelings seemed to run a little bit deeper. In 2019, though, five or six years after they met each other, Ada started being honest with herself, wanting more than just a casual relationship where they hooked up. Her ex resisted, but they seemed serious, so she stayed, hoping that it would change later on. At that point, we had 
said I love you to each other, and he would always tell me that shit, and I would say back, you know, whatever. But about five months into being more serious and apparently monogamous, her ex had started seeing someone else. He wasn't honest about it and instead stuck to the story that he wouldn't commit to her, but still claimed to be monogamous, a lie that ultimately had severe physical consequences for Ada. I would just be like, if you want to see other people, just tell me. Like, I would accept that so much more readily than, like, not understanding why you won't commit to me. Because it turns out he was just in love with another girl at the same time, and he couldn't freaking choose, which is so shitty on to, like, both of us. Mm-hmm. He gave me chlamydia, and it was, like, really hard on my body because it was, like, basically he gave me chlamydia three times. We kept, like, giving it back to each other. Probably because he was also sleeping with the other girl at the same time. And he lied about that, too. So he just, like... And it was, like, pretty traumatizing on my body because I kept taking antibiotics. And the last time... The last, like, bout of chlamydia, my uterus was, like, bleeding for two weeks out of nowhere. Not on my period. Like, the left side of my uterus was in pain the whole time. And he just didn't care. So, like... It was not a great experience. Just, like, the the whole disrespect for my body and, like, my emotional well-being. And, like, not that I didn't do anything wrong in that relationship also. I shouldn't have, like, forced him to confront all this shit when he didn't want a relationship. But still. Despite all her hardships, Ada started opening up more and more about her relationship throughout that time sharing her experience with friends and those around her as a form of catharsis and healing. I don't know. Like, I really have always appreciated your openness around that. And I wonder kind of like, do you feel like your ability to share with others what you were going through and how it affected you? Do you feel like that helped you heal like or process things? I think it might have like come out of like me having to because it was so new and I just like didn't know how to feel so like my being open about it and sharing it was just like probably a coping mechanism honestly and like Mm. I mean it was very helpful for me personally honestly like I wouldn't have done it any other way I don't think I could have kept it to myself so I'm like really 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 grateful for my friends for being there for me but what she didn't know was how much she wished she could tell that same story to her mom didn't tell my parents about it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that one we're still working on. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember a time when I was like, I really wish that I could just talk to my mom about it and have her like tell me that I'm being stupid right now and I should just leave him. Like, mm. oh my God, I'm about to cry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Tears are good. <laughs> yeah. They, they mean that you feel. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I, I, I get just, that like, though. Yeah, I just like really wanted my mom to be there for me. And I was like too much of a freaking like pussy to talk to her about it. Probably because I was ashamed that I was even like with someone who could just be so disrespectful to me. And like I just let that happen to me. And part of that is also like me being unable to forgive myself for that shit. Yeah, I mean, of course. And like, I think that that's what that experience of like, whenever we do find it difficult to share, 
like that informs us so much more about like ourselves you know than it does the other person sometimes because (laughs) I I think back to something Ivy said and it's it's like let people show you who they are like give them a chance to and if we aren't taking that step then we kind of like withhold that opportunity from somebody yeah. and it's like, yeah, like people can disappoint us all the time. Like I'm disappointed constantly. Like <laughs> I'm like, like I walk through my day, like disappointed, but it's like, it's about the act of trying, yeah. you know? And I feel like, I feel like what I'm hearing from you is like, you benefited so much from trying to process this and externalize it with everyone that you knew, but mm-hmm the one kind of source that you really were hoping for love and softness from, like you weren't able to access. And that was like me keeping myself from that too. So. Ugh. <laughs> the self-awareness. I just ate up. <laughs> I mean, like, do you feel like that relationship and like all the things that it ended up teaching you impacted, how did it impact your life? Like, now that you're past it, you know? I mean, definitely. I was a thousand times more grateful for my friends for being there for me. Because I was like, I don't need this man's love because all my friends love me so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Basically, Mm -hmm. I think that was the most important thing, honestly. Now, almost a year later, Ada's actively and intentionally bringing more self-awareness into every part of her life including her current romantic relationship. She's taking all that she's learned from that experience and using it to improve her dynamic with her parents, her work, how she loves, how she wants to love, and so much more. I did, like, grow so much from that. Um, But I think I still have a lot to dissect from it, especially because, like, my new relationship is kind of, like, I guess, like, bringing up old triggers and like they're different Mm -hmm. people so that's like also my bad for projecting and shit but I don't think I would have realized how much my ex um affected me to this to this extent unless I tried again with love at least well yeah like I think all of it comes back to trying again and like each time you're gonna learn something different but I also I think another important thing that I remember Um, learning from that is that like I can't force things because I think I'm so used to being able to like to be able to like get what I want by working hard for it but in a relationship like that like working hard didn't do shit but like stress me out even more (laughs) so like because I'm so used to like being in control also of like my career and like my achievements and I was able to, like, achieve a lot that I wanted. And, like, I think I treated the relationship as also, like, something to achieve. And Mm. it just doesn't work with humans. And also I learned that love isn't enough. Like, commitment and actions, like, they matter so much. So, yeah. Well, I feel like there's so much here that you're unpacking, right? Like the juxtaposition with your work, like that's, that's so interesting. Like, and we spoke earlier in this convo about how you don't get emotional in your work. And when I hear Mm -hmm. what you just said, I'm like, oh, that sounds, that sounds like the direct 
you know, compliment <laughs> to that. Like maybe one of the reasons why you kind of avoid that confrontation in your work is be- because of this, this relationship, which is so crazy to think about. The fact that you're saying like, you know, I have trouble putting emotion into my work. And here you're saying like, well, I put so much into my work and I got achievement from it. But when I put so much into this relationship over so many years, I, I didn't receive, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't receive at all. And so yeah. it's kind of like, maybe there's some mental blocker there that prevents you from emoting or processing that way in your work, because you're afraid of it subconsciously being like, it, it might affect your level of mm. achievement. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe I do. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense is like seeing my work as like something to work to work towards achievement and like emotional work. I guess I don't treat the same way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I think that if you ever made emotional work, <laughs> it would hit really hard. <laughs> it would go really hard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, I look forward to seeing this <laughs> future iteration of Ada Chen's we'll jewelry. We'll see. We'll <laughs> freaking see. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing all of this with me. I am so appreciative of your friendship and your time um, and sharing your story on Saving Face. Thanks so much for having me. Love you lots. I love you too. Thank you all so, so much for tuning into the second episode of Saving Face. I'm Ida, and it was an honor to share Ada's story with you all today. We hope to see you again next week, but until then, take care. Saving Face is brought to you by Newfly Magazine. We'd like to give a special thank you and shout out to Matt Hong, our audio engineer, for making the soundscape for each of our episodes. I'd also like to thank Belinda Mann, who's helped co-produce the series with me, as well as Daniel Fung, who has put together our cover art for each episode. And of course, we'd like to thank our wonderful guests for having the courage and openness to share their stories. Thank you so much for listening.